Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Offstage Passport Show, the podcast interview show where we go behind the scenes offstage with our all-access passport in hand and get a glimpse into the lives of artists from all around the world. My name is Nicholas Rodriguez, and it is my pleasure to welcome all of you to the show and to introduce our very first guest on this show. Hailing from Minneapolis, Minnesota, our first guest is a graduate of North Central University, where he was a drummer for the university's elite touring group, One Accord. With over 2 million views on YouTube, he is known for his entertaining light-up drum covers, but most importantly, he has a distinct title as the former drummer of the band Owl City. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Matt Gusmer, a.k.a. Goose the Drummer. Hey, welcome to the show, Matt. What's up? After that intro, I feel, I'm feeling like a boss, man. It's so generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, um, you have a lot of accolades, and it's really, really cool and interesting to you. Um, I want to get to talk about that. Just some little nuggets there that I want to kind of just touch on. But yeah, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm glad to have you as our first guest and our, our inaugural guest on the show. Honored to be and, here. Yeah. And well, you know, in the words of Taylor Marshall, I'm jumping in. Let's go. Let's go. I love it. <laughs> I, I hope he sees this. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later on. So. so let's go back to the beginning. I know you're originally from Green Bay, Wisconsin, correct? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. So how did you get started in music? You know, how old were you? Was this something that happened? early on or maybe in the teen years? Yeah, I had kind of a moment um, at my, I guess growing up up until I was 10, I always, my parents had just kind of noticed. I always was like watching the drummer at shows at church, like in any scenario, I just, they're, I feel like they're moving the most. They're usually like so engaging to watch. And I was just surrounded in my life by like really good drummers at church. And the, my dad was so into like going to live concerts and everything. So I got exposed to that you know, for really young. And, um, so for my 10th birthday, they knew like if I was going to play an instrument, it, they knew what it would be. <laughs> so they actually got me a beginner drum kit on my 10th birthday and gifted me with, um, or like started me on weekly lessons, which, uh, from a good friend of my dad, who is an incredible, like seasoned professional and still doing it. Um, and, uh, the rest kind of just took off. I, I remember um, from being so young that I, I almost channeled my frustration of not being able to do something uh, for good <laughs> to get better at drums. Like I, I would be really frustrated and angry if I wasn't able to do something because I felt like it made me look foolish or like I couldn't, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of embarrassing not being able to do it. So I'd really worked really hard to kind of prevent that. And it, it was so fun just... Um, I guess as little opportunities came and went um, and grew, uh, like when I was 12, I started playing at church and then start playing at church. Other people who play in bands are at the church and they like, are like, oh, how cool would it be to have this like little kid play <laughs> drums with our band, like our cover band, whatever. So I like just started getting all these random gigs and it just kind of like, you know, snowballed into um, all sorts of different fun opportunities. And then pursued it through high school doing pep band, marching band, show choir band, uh, and whilst continuing to play at church. And then I was playing youth groups, uh, on Wednesdays and then I'd play, get asked to play on Sundays at church too. So it just became like, I was just playing all the time, um, and loving it. It was just really fun and a great way to, <laughs> to take out, uh, the stress of a day on the drums, you know, <laughs> and just yeah, I hear that. decompress. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, you, you mentioned the church. Did you kind of, is that where you kind of start off, um, started off? 
Yeah, I would probably say uh, early on, uh, my my instructor Steve had and and playing at church, like those two things were like the biggest catalyst in me having opportunities to play. Um, and just in my, like what influenced me as a drummer, as a musician, as a person in those years. Um, cause Steve is just, uh, a high integrity, um, man that it, when it comes to music and work and in general, um, and he was just so good that it was just so inspiring to be around as a kid, you know? So I'm, I'm super thankful for that connection. Um, and then at church, not many 12 year olds get the opportunity to play for a few hundred people every week or something, you know? So yeah, that's um, incredible. I felt so cool <laughs> as a little kid, like trying to figure it out. And I, I wouldn't want to look back and watch many videos from that time because I was starting out, you know, but, um, so you know, was it like um um like a church that had many satellites? Like you know, they have one central broadcast and then satellite churches, or you know, what yeah, church was th it? This church, even the building was so big, like they had even another campus just on the other side of the building too. And then they did grow and end up being like a satellite church kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just thankful for a, a lot of people believed in me and gave me a chance. Like that's a risk on their part too, looking back, like, and I think some good leadership of giving people a shot and letting them rise to the occasion. Like, I think people really, when they're given a bigger opportunity, they work generally <laughs> work yeah. harder and like, you know, really try to make it worth, um, improve themselves kind of thing. And I, I feel like that's totally what gave me the early passion for it. And then feeling that the value and the fun and the adrenaline of, of performing or playing and whatever. So that was um, really fun. And then got to be in my first band at, I think, 15 or 16 um, from there, which was, once again, a connection from church. So it all kind of the networks and all the people I met all kind of started from the skills I was gaining there and from the people I met there. So I wanted to, I want to you know, talk about that later on, because I know River um, was a River Valley Church. Yep. Yep. Is a, is a big part of your your story as well. Totally, totally played there for six years and man, they take, they take excellence seriously. They do things so well. It's a well-oiled machine and that was really fun to be a part of. So that's yeah. awesome. So, you know, we start off at church and we kind of grow into, you know, you, you had your first, was in your first band at 15 and let's kind of, let's talk a little bit about NCU. It's mm -hmm. a Christian based university, correct? Yep. Yep. So that was, uh, when I turned 18 I graduated high school and it was time for next steps. What am I going to do with my life? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, it was so clear to me that I wanted, I, I know, you know, even still like music's going to be in my life forever. So in some way or fashion, um, so I had a bunch of people I knew, um, including my sister actually went to Minneapolis for school for next steps in life and whatever. And then there were, I heard some really great things about NCU's, music program, um, and some staff they had brought on. And, uh, I toured some different colleges and it just seemed to be a, a great fit. And they they emphasize community and just making the experience, like, I guess some of the non-tangible things, um, a university can offer, um, of even like, even move in day, like they just had their details so well, like, uh, figured out where move in day they had, you know, separate people like assigned to helping the students move in and like meeting them. Cause like, it's such a vulnerable moment in life where you have no friends, you're starting over in a new city, potentially like you're not going to have your parents to just go back to their house or something. You know, it's, it was just a, 
crazy vulnerable time. So that was a huge part of it for me is like the community finding a safe place. But then man, I college was where I really started being, um, pushed to the next level and where I, I started really taking it serious of like, okay, I'm spending money on this. I'm going to make, I'm going to make every dollar count. Um, I'm going to hit the practice rooms. Like people are suggesting <laughs> I got to like yeah. book a practice room. That was probably the biggest pain of being a drummer is like finding places to practice and not feeling like a burden to others. Like, cause it's just the nature of the instruments is so loud. Um, so I, I pity every, with every drummer, if you're watching, I'm sorry for what you have to go through. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you, um, did you get an assigned room in the practice room or did you kind of have to lug your instruments around? Yeah, we, I, they had a pretty good system where they had at the time that I went, which was 2011 to 2015. Um, they had like multiple different practice rooms that already had drum kits in them. Awesome. Uh, I'd say like three or four. So then you could book a space um, online and see what's available. But what happened, it was just always a rush to who would get the you know best times booked first. So then usually it was for me, it was like, I'd almost always rehearse at like nine to 11 or something at night, like, or I'd get kind of the crappier, like really late times. So, uh, but it worked and it's, it's actually super fun having a whole, it was usually in a classroom or like a large room and they had a separate built music building, which is kind of a cool feeling to have, I don't know, at night in a big room and a drum kit. And it's just you and music. Like so I had a lot of, the world. yeah, a lot of like special memories of it just breakthroughs in my own playing. And, um, I remember that's where I learned a lot of like, like some more in-depth Latin, like Samba rhythms, um, and Bayonne foot pattern. And like so many, I guess, monumental moments of me getting better. were just like alone in that room, <laughs> figuring it out. So good times. Yeah. Some of the best and worst moments were in practice rooms. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so it's that frustration. Yeah. Channeling because, that frustration for good of like not being able to figure it out. You can channel yeah, it. And spending hours and just kind of, you know, you know, resetting the met. Um, oh yeah. You have a system. I can't, I need to nail it like 10 times in a row before I can move up five clicks, you know, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. it was just very rewarding. Totally. Um, totally. Sure. What was your major there? Yep. My major was, uh, music business. And I actually, my first year it was music performance. And then after doing that for a year, I was kind of realizing, um, I might not need a degree. Like, I think I just need the skills to do like to perform and the connections. So then I was, I really wanted to channel the business aspect. Um, so I, I adjusted my sophomore year and, um, to music business. I wanted to take more business courses. I, I think an entrepreneur type mind was birthed in me like that sophomore junior year where I was just kind of thinking bigger and realizing that like the, and I still struggle with this, how drumming is a supportive role. Almost always there are cases where it's not, or where I don't know. So combine that where like almost my whole life's work is in drumming. And then now I'm like really wanting control and wanting like, to start a business with this or to own something and like grow it, you know, gradually. And that was really hard tension for me of like, how can I, uh, use my skills where I'm at now, uh, for a, to get in a position that is, you know, satisfying or the incentives are right. Like I want really big on, um, I want my incentive to be, to do good work. I always want to, 
whatever system or job or thing I'm doing, I want those incentives to be, to do good work, to have integrity, you know, so as much as I can set up a system that way. So part of that was like owning a YouTube channel, then I can, you know, if it fails, it's on me. If it succeeds, it's on me doing teaching lessons where another one, um, and then gigs and, and that's kind of the, f- the funding of, uh, or the founding of goose, the drummer, where I was like, okay, I'm going to start this. This is going to be a thing. I'm leaning into it. Goose was my college nickname from Gusmer's. My RA had thought it was pronounced Goosmer, which it's not. So you nailed the pronunciation. Way to go. Awesome. Yeah. I <laughs> yep. tried to. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was, a yeah, a fun thing to lean into and people remember the name goose. It just was a funny, like nickname that just stuck. And now it's been over a decade. Um, so it's been really fun to just kind of lean into that and stick on people's mind. want to be the first, first person people think of when they think of like, you know, drums, anything yeah. like if we need drums programmed, if we need someone to drum for yeah, our let's, gig, let's call we need, goose. Yeah. yep. Let's, yep. Let's so being that top of mind guy. And that seemed to help, um, having a nickname as light and funny as it was at the time and as kind of immature as it felt, I think has been a huge part of being memorable, being top of mind. And like, I hard to it's quantify the amount of opportunities, but I know some definitely came from that just being a little bit different and unique. Yeah. It's, it's very marketable for sure. Yeah. And, and it really kind of just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Goose mm-hmm. drummer. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of always wondered where the origin of goose came from. So yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know if it was early on or, you know, where, where in your life did it happen, but it's cool. Yep. Freshman. It was my first day at college. Actually, there were five mats on my floor of 20 guys. And oh, wow. the RA is like, this is not going to happen. And everyone's going to be yelling Matt all the time, which was the case. So there were some funny nicknames and some awesome other mats I got to meet and they named them like DJ eBay. And like, <laughs> cause this guy was super into selling stuff on eBay. Like, so it was pretty funny, um, but it just stuck. And uh, I remember my mom was like, Matthew, you know, you don't, you don't need to lean into this. Like they don't, (laughs) you don't have to be goose if you don't want to. She was just trying to, you know, really protect me, make sure like, you know, you you know, after kind of thinking about it and kind of owning it, it's like, Hey, this is, you know, yeah, this actually makes sense. I'm memorable. And it's kind of funny too. Cause then no one knows my real name anymore. (laughs) Like, Yeah. So it became a pretty funny thing that, um, especially when people chant goose, which is always fun to hear like from stage or whatever, cause it sounds like a boo, <laughs> but yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> um, yeah. So I looking back, it's, I'm wouldn't change a thing. It's been a fun, uh, little thing. I even got it on I, my iLock here for like pro tools and licensing <laughs> plugins. Got my, uh, my logo, which is a, a GTD for goose. the, nice. drummer, goose the drummer. Yeah. It's fun to oh, lean into awesome. Um, yeah. So Going into college, you know, we're, we were in college now. Was there, was there an audition process? How was it getting into college? Yeah. Um, so there was an, I did uh, an audition for a music scholarship program they had. Um, and then it was a, it was more of a standard. Um, I don't think it was an audition process to get into the actual like music program, but they did have your standard like college approval process. So like, you know, grades, uh, SAT stuff. So, um, so I got in and then once I was in, um, and I think it was when I was touring the college, I tried out for a music scholarship as well, which made going through school a lot easier. Um, the only catch was, and this is a good catch. I think (laughs) if you did get the scholarship, which I did get, um, 
with music scholarship, you had to be involved in, I believe it was two ensembles uh, per semester. So that meant like percussion ensemble, you know, uh, there was like a jazz ensemble, a rhythm ensemble, or they, some of the touring groups with the school. So NCU, it like really specializes and does that very well of like worship bands, worship teams. And they have tons of opportunities because almost the whole state and Midwest knows that NCU is like elite in um, providing like excellent musicians and worship leaders and ministers and that whole thing. So got some really fun opportunities um, to play at chapel, like just for the school, because they have daily chapel. Um, And then also traveling to youth groups, to churches. Um, A lot of people trusted us and we're given a lot of fun opportunities. So that was really fun. It's a very great ministry. Totally. um, Ministering through music is um, very fulfilling and it's great to see lives changing right in front of you. Totally, Um, totally. And and being a vessel um, and and being part of that movement, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yep, and, and yep. So let's talk about, you know, now that we're on this topic, let's talk about one accord. Yeah. And what is what is one accord? Yep. <laughs> one accord ironically is no more right now. It's convert the name has changed uh to worship live. So with that disclaimer, um one accord is uh I guess NCU's like elite kind of touring group that they send out. Uh and it's actually a program for the students in one accord to like learn, get credits, um, get recording experience if they don't have already. Uh, so basically it's, a, it was a year and a half, uh, program that is pretty, you know, strict tryouts for and handpicked musicians for it and everything, um, which was always super intimidating trying out in front of all your peers. It's so <laughs> tryouts are so brutal. Um, but <clears throat> basically, uh, year and a half program, the first it's like a fall, spring, summer, and then fall. And that first fall, you're recording a five song. Usually, I I don't know what they're doing now. They might be a 10 song, like full album kind of thing. But you're recording an album or a product of some sort of songs that are original. um, And writing them specifically for what you'll use them for. So playing in chapel, playing at churches for youth groups. So it made the writing a lot more natural. So you can just envision and you're writing for such a clear purpose. Um, And then, then spring start playing in chapel, start uh, the assigning roles, who in the band is going to do what, because we're preparing for a, a summer, like full out tour kind of thing. Um, and then summer was straight up. And then I guess spring, we're still rehearsing for summer uh, where we play youth camps like Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday and then church on Sunday. Uh, and oh, sometimes wow. even youth groups on those Wednesdays. So it was, you know, you're playing twice a day, every day, literally. Um, it was exhaustingly amazing. (laughs) It was so fun. Um, so a little different than what most people consider a tour because it's like youth, youth groups, youth camps. Um, but that was such a great, like just learning experience, um, a time to get better and use the skills that you're constantly at college, like practicing, rehearsing, learning, playing to actually be able to like outwardly play instead of like inwardly get better kind of thing, you know, just opportunities to, um, perform per se. And then, um, and then that fall school is back up and rolling. So fall spring, then the summer tour, then that next fall, we're just playing a ton in chapel and, 
um and more like um wednesdays and sundays because school's going on so now we're like back in classes <laughs> and playing like you know here and there when we can so it was a ton of youth groups and sundays but the amount of skills we learned and the amount of trust they were given to us opportunities to grow so we you know managed like the finances for that the only thing we really didn't do was the booking um, but everything else you know the, we had a manager financial manager nice. uh merch we were in charge of like keeping all that straight and ordering more when we needed it um and we were kind of on our own as just a bunch of meddling kids in a van <laughs> <laughs> figuring it out so it was fun it sounds like a really really fun experience but also um a necessary experience for most yeah. um and that not many people get that opportunity um because you know you get to be hands-on with all of the aspects of the music business, you know, per se. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds like it's a really amazing program. Absolutely. NCU. Yeah. Um, I think the NCU does this so well of giving people opportunities um, to shine, to practice, to learn, to, I think that's a, you know, usually comes down to the best way to learn. It's just get your hands dirty, do it. Like <laughs> stop yeah, talking about it. Stop rehearsing to do it. Like just do it. <laughs> Kind of yeah, thing. especially so, in our industry, in our in our business, you have to be hands on. Yeah, oh um, yeah, yeah. It's it's that's that's great. That's, I didn't know that about NCU. Mm -hmm. for it's a small school. It's right downtown, across from US Bank Stadium. So it's in like metro, metro, you know, blocks away from the skyscrapers. So it's uh, also like a really cool um, environment too. So that's awesome. How, how you know how is it balancing all of that? I know time management is is very, very, um, hard, you know, for lack of better words. <laughs> totally. Totally. I, it's always come natural to me. Um, I'm a very like list calendar organized person in general. Um, so that was always fine to me. It sometimes the hard part was, you know, just managing schoolwork when you're taking multiple classes, sometimes all the heavy workload of those classes stack up on the same time period or something. Um, and then especially while traveling too, that made it really hard. So sometimes being learning songs on the road when I have like homework too and essays to write and stuff like that. Um, but you can do it, you know, yeah. just put your mind to it, look at your day, kind of plan, plan for it and do your best with what you got. So made it through, which I'm, I'm very glad. And the other side, <laughs> it's so bright. <laughs> Well, after graduating and it's like oh take a deep breath and just um can so then let's, yeah let's talk about post-graduation now yeah. um so post-graduation did you stay with um river valley church i did um, yep so that was uh that's a perfect I'm, I'm impressed you observed that because that basically like two months before i graduated um one of my drum instructors at ncu happened to be the like head honch worship director for river Valley church. His name's Aaron Johnson. So, um, he was already teaching me drums and smart of him recruiting too. like smart to think like, Oh, this guy could make a good fit at, uh, they had a new campus in Chalkby opening, um, which is just a Southern, uh, Southern suburb of the twin cities. So, uh, he kind of gave me the opportunity if I wanted it and chose to dive in and, uh, after it was such a learning process. So from there, um, I was appointed per se to be like the MD music director, which I know you're probably familiar yeah. with, but for anyone not, it's kind of the behind the scenes 
point person so there's not too many cooks in the kitchen kind of directing the band or if there's any decisions to be made in rehearsal of what chord to play what or someone needs to be calling out like after you're done with a song getting back into the next song like i'm in charge of all the transitions and some especially at river valley they'd have like us play behind announcements or maybe like the greeting time when people are shaking hands and saying hi like it's nice to have some live music behind that instead of just the a standard track. pads or yeah tracks. yeah a beat yeah yeah so i'd always that was kind of always a part of it too which i think was really fun so i'd come every week with like a a vibe planned which was usually like whatever new fun song i was pumped about in the moment like we had even done some bieber songs and like <laughs> nice just a chord progression that we could kind of spice up and have fun with um but yeah, all those things. So I'd have a mic and be able to talk to the band while we're playing too, if something needed to be adjusted. And then I ran um, tracks and prepared those and made cues and would adjust cues. Or if someone was forgetting lyrics, I'd add a cue in. So it's easier in reminding them as we're playing, or I, I would just remind them on the mic as we're playing too. So learned so much by doing that of just what a band needs, what a, a band leader or vocalist is looking for from a drummer. Um, cause I think you can do too much too. Yeah. So kind of balancing, like just do it, what's needed and do it well. Um, and that's a great philosophy to have yeah, too. Yeah. That, that really led to, and I guess on top of that, going to piggy tailing off that, the nature of being a drummer, um, especially at church is the biggest place where I learned to like, not overplay to play what's needed. Um, and serve the song. I, I would say it was the biggest concept that I like is stuck with me forever. Now um, do whatever the song needs, which sometimes might be nothing, <laughs> which is hard for a drummer to just do nothing or to play very, you know, just a kick and snare and no hats or no ride similar. Or, or sometimes it's even as simple as like a four on the floor. You know? Yep. Yep. Four on the floor. <laughs> it feels maybe boring to you, but you serve the song. Like yeah. you as the band are actually serving. It's not people there to see you like you are serving them so that mindset change really i think brought more opportunities because that's the type of people that other bandmates want to be around they want to be around servants they want to be around generous you know high integrity people so yeah um yeah that was awesome probably one of the biggest lessons that i'm thankful for there now at your campus did you have a lot of different musicians kind of coming in did you have a set band or yeah we had um like a rotation. They, they try. Yeah. Rotation. I would say, um, they tried as it, the easier, it, it's way easier. If you have a set band, definitely you can develop, you can grow, you can have, you know, patterns and routines much easier, but the nature of a church, people aren't, um, as consistent sometimes with that. So, uh, and there's a lot of people that want to play and you can give more people opportunities to play and, um, let the young guys hop in there with the, the big adult service <laughs> and give them a chance. And that's, uh, as it, big of that was for my story, I'm a huge believer yeah. in that. So, um, yeah, I'd say probably a, like three fourths of the people were the same every week, but then there's always some, you know, maybe a different guitarist this week, maybe a different keys player or something. So it, it, it adjusted, but in a, I think a healthy amount where it was small enough changes that it wasn't like feeling way different, <laughs> So consistent. Did you have like any mentors or, you know, I, um, I, I know you mentioned Aaron, right? Aaron Johnson. Yep. I know you mentioned him, but you know, was there other mentors or best friends or friendships that developed out of um, the church scene? Definitely. Yeah. I would say 
Aaron was probably the, the biggest because he was my drum instructor, like through, through most of college. Um, he gave me the opportunity and he's just my friend and he's cool. <laughs> so that helps. And he had, he had basically launched me through like Ableton and got me into Ableton and all that. I did also at the time, uh, right out of college, have a great friend named Luke Hundby who ended up being, uh, I had two best men in my wedding, but he was one of my best mans, I'll say. Um, and he's also a worship leader. He's a fantastic musician, producer, mixer. Like, uh, he got me really into a lot of that stuff in the post-production stuff, which made me a much better musician. And, um, I'd say I took a lot from him, um, in like hard skills and soft skills of the subtlety of, um, leading worship and being in a band and especially mixing and production stuff. And I guess to tie this back in, he was in my one accord team. So oh, nice. that worship team we toured and everything. So I, I grew so close with him and we got really tight and having a guy like him that can do so many things um, really brought so much to the team. So uh, he was, yeah. And then he was my roommate. <laughs> so I lived with them for three years or so out of college and that, I think had so much great influence on me and he's just fun. We like all the same stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. just fun. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, I love college in the sense that it's a great networking, um, tool. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're definitely growing your, 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 um, your skills, but as far as networking too, um, yep. some of your best friends for your entire life are made in the college. Um, completely you know, agree. World. Um, so early, earlier you mentioned Ableton and, um, I know, do you talk about Ableton? You have a free course and you have courses teaching mm -hmm. people about Ableton. First of all, let's, let's talk about Ableton to people who may not know what Ableton is. Yep. Um, you're getting me started, man. I love <laughs> Ableton. So Ableton live, uh, is it's essentially a music software that can virtually do anything with audio. Um, it's similar to uh, the other big ones are like Logic, Pro Tools, I guess FL Studio, Fruity Loops, um, and or Cubase. Uh, the GarageBand is a, a version, I guess, in a way. But um, yeah, I it, it can basically do anything with audio, which makes it so fun and useful for, I mean, making videos, for uh, song production, for mixing, uh, drum cover, for anything where audio is involved, it just, uh, really unlocks the possibilities. And I especially found it in Ableton's niche, I would say, especially because they're called Ableton live is for live tracks. So they have a, a, um, view called session view. That's just kind of groundbreaking. I guess it's older now <laughs> since it's been out for a while, but, uh, they just have a, a way of running tracks live that no other digital audio workstation or DAW has. And, that's what got me started into it. And then I realized I could produce music through it too. I'm like, oh my gosh, this can be my one software that I know really well <laughs> yeah, and take care of anything audio for me. So it really uh, is like an yeah. all in one doll. Um, how did, how did Ableton launch a career? You know, I, I know you talk about it. Yeah. So, uh, when in 2015, when I graduated, that was basically a requirement, um, to, for the position I was appointed for at river Valley for music directing. It was like running tracks. You got to run Ableton, like someone's got to do it. And we want to hire a worship leader and a drummer are like the most important roles. 
um, in setting up a band essentially for the, a church setup, or that's how they ran it at least. And I totally agree that having a really strong vocalist worship leader, um, ideally they play an instrument and then a strong drummer who can direct a band and run tracks like that takes care of a ton of uh, potential mishaps that could otherwise happen. And just the way music has been running, um, I, I am, there's, there's some people on the purest side that think click and guides and whatever are getting in the way of music. And I agree. Sometimes they do. And sometimes they're used in ways they shouldn't be, or maybe used too much of it as a crutch, but I just love thinking of it. It's a, it's another tool that can make your life easier. Use it when it's applicable or when it can help or, you know, and if you're programming lights, now be playing to a perfect grid when you know exactly timed out, like when everything's going to happen, super useful. Let's use it, you know, and then tracks adding crazy strings. It's not practical to have an orchestra, but you can sound like it yeah. <laughs> if you play to click. Um, so uh, that became, I think, as as a drummer that can also run tracks. Now I'm the top of people's list, especially in 2015, like and on um, that just unlocked the possibilities and it was a pain to learn i had to spend money uh on learning it and on the actual software itself and the gear to run it like an interface and uh, cables and building a rack and all that but um that really just launched me and then living with luke he's the one who got me into like production and kind of opened my mind to just i'd watch him produce his own stuff and i was realizing ableton can do all these things he was using pro tools and um, then I began to make my own music for fun. And then people heard that and wanted me to make a demo for them. And then they're like, okay, let's actually do a full album. <laughs> and then it just kind of launched and I got into all this post-production um, and just, wow. this was all in Ableton because I just was fast at it and loved it and just intuitive. So I think don't be afraid to use whatever digital audio station is intuitive to you too, because I, I learned pro tools in college and it, it, works but for me personally it didn't work with my brain and like how i understood things and ableton really like made sense to me so nothing against pro tools it's just for me i love ableton and um they both i have great strengths and I, i'm jealous of pro tools having beat detective for editing and rhythm quantization and whatnot like i wish ableton had something as good yeah, as that for some so applications the pros yeah. yeah for some applications pro tools logic they, yep. they work better than Ableton, but Ableton, you know, does live very, very well. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I, and, I think almost everyone is on the same page as Ableton being kind of the leading industry standard for live tracks. Yeah. I, I don't know of anyone who would disagree, but if you do hit me up, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open to what you got. If, if not. Yeah. How important is it to have that skill as, as an instrumentalist? Cause <laughs> most people, they just want to play their instruments, but how important is it to stack on your skill set um, with having a skill like running your yeah, I, I think, uh, would you, if you're the person hiring a drummer, would you rather have a drummer that just plays drums or a drummer that can also run track and play drums? I think it basically comes down to that. Like you can, the more you do as a drummer, you're taking the burden off of others, which is valuable. And I, I kind of found out too, like, almost always the person running tracks is getting paid. It's work. It's yeah. uh file storage organization. It's, you know, and 
if you want to maximize yeah if you want to maximize your hourly your time your pay your um the experience for others i think it's a no-brainer investment to make of of the time and and now there's so many resources and that's why I, i saw such a need for it that i made a course myself that i'm like oh my gosh all my drum students are asking me about this like yeah i i just want something i can give that gives the general uh, that gets them started basically, and then has a, a support line too, because things come up. But with with any of the big softwares, it's so searchable. YouTube University. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge. Yeah, I'm a graduate of YouTube of, myself. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah, big fan, <laughs> big fan. Yeah. So go play buttons. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, do you feel that being in the contemporary Christian music scene prepped you for your role with Al City? Totally. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) The, uh, back to like the networking and I I guess I can go into like how I landed the gig. Yeah. Let's talk Um, about that. Uh, it came straight up. So like my experience at church somewhat led me to NCU, which somewhat led me to Owl City. So, um, the way I got the gig was, so I graduated in 2015. Then for three years, I just played at church, taught drum lessons and gigged. Like that was life. I was literally cruising Craigslist for people looking for drummers. Like I was, I was taking every gig that came my way and looking for them and like pursuing them. Um, and a result of one of those gigs, this one actually was a connection from NCU from a good friend of mine, um, named Michelle Stevens. And she, uh, was going under the artist named Mish. Now she goes under Luna Luna and um, asked me to play in Brainerd and that's a uh, Northern Minnesota city and ended up uh, playing that gig and met this guitarist there named Cody Johnson. And we just like hit it off. It's fun w- when you're a musician and you go play a gig and just get thrown in with other musicians and you don't know what to expect or what they're going to be like or anything or how good they're going to be, whatever. Cody was ripping, man. He was so good and so funny to hang around, like just a good hang. He was awesome. So we ended up um, just like becoming really good friends, followed each other on Instagram, like stayed in touch and whatever. And turns out we both had YouTube channels. We were kind of, and we were both around like the 10,000 subscribers at the time. So we were just like bonded over all these little things. And he was actually the one asked to be a part of Owl City uh, for the cinematic tour. And he thought of me being a good fit uh, just based off that one experience we had at that gig and staying in touch and that he enjoyed hanging around me, I guess. (laughs) So he he had suggested me and he put me on their map. And then a huge part of it, too, was having my I, I call it my resume was my YouTube channel. So he referred them my YouTube channel and then. That was something at Adam Young, even when we first met, had said, like, no need to audition or anything. I already I've seen enough (laughs) from YouTube, basically. So which I had like tons of drum cams from playing at church. I had uh, tons of drum covers. Like, I think that people don't take that serious enough sometimes of like what you post is uh, for musicians, like your Instagram, your YouTube is what gets you hired in many cases. So yeah, it, it is like you said, your resume, it's, it's, yeah. your, it's a, um, a digital resume. Yep. For sure. For sure. You're documenting your skills and documenting, um, just who you are as an artist and a musician or whatever your, your, your avenue is definitely yep. is a, a, a great tool. Yep. So 
um so now we're now we're at Owl City and um you know I I, I Cody wasn't actually in my notes um and I was hoping that you would mention him um so that's cool to hear that how that how, how that happened what was pre-production like you know what was prepping for Owl City in the tour and yeah. your approach to learning Owl City because it my understanding Adam Young does pretty much everything in studio mm-hmm. how was it learning the songs and yep it was uh it was fascinating and i have not seen i don't think i've still to this day experienced anyone that prepares more um than adam young and to such an excellence standard and there were things i learned that i never thought about um like one being uh, or, or here's a few little tricks he did, even in just his session. So first of all, he ran, it was a 70 minute set space bar and we're along for the ride <laughs> for tracks. So literally that was one of my first times ever doing that, like a pre-timed out show, which at first I was kind of thinking, man, that leaves like no opportunity to like interact and whatever, but he had built those in, um, to nice. the show. So it was, it was like planned. And, and this was a thing for church too, having planned spontaneity moments, planned yes. spontaneous moments too. Um, so that way it made it a lot more practical for um, lighting and, and when venues have like strong deadlines that you need to be out or a safety thing, like they need people out by 10 or if, you know, just re- reservations and whatnot, it's a really respectful thing you can do to like honor your timelines, honor the venue. So we had, when you have 34 shows on a tour or something, it, it makes sense, especially to really be tight on your timeline. So that was one thing that kind of shocked me at first. And then the other was like lyric cues. Um, just his use of cues was so strategic. And when we rehearsed, uh, the rehearsal process was about nine months long or so. Um, and it was, it started like, we do like a weekend, I don't know, two or three days and we just like sleep over or whatever. And then, um, you know, rehearse at night and then sleep rehearse in the morning. It was a a fun little like, uh, weekend hangout kind of thing. And then it was probably like once a month, we were all kind of like after the first rehearsal, like, Oh, we're already, I don't know, 90% there (laughs) after the first rehearsal. So that says a lot about everything he sent us up to that point. He sent us, uh, the logic sessions, the, um, so like every stem we have available availability to like preview whatever, so we can learn and really hear exactly what we need to hear to prepare well. And then also like the sessions for the specific live arrangements. And then even the like drum breakdowns in cinematic tour and whatever he programmed. So oh, I nice. could learn them exactly what, like, so he set me up for success, you know, gave me That's exactly awesome. what he wants. And then also gave me the moments and specified like, uh, here, be open to what you want to do there kind of thing. Like, so there were some moments for, you know, my own fills, my own creativity. And then as for like drum sampling, that was my biggest question of how do you want me to use your exact samples? Do you want me to double them? And he had wanted for that tour for me to just double everything that's in the track and let's, let's equip the sound guy to mix how he wants. So, Um, so I basically ended up doubling all the main samples that I thought would be necessary. And then the rest was in the track. So the sound guy, it, it just equipped him to do his thing well, but you know, um, yeah, it was a blast. So, I mean, anything you can think of that you would need to prepare. I had full stems. I had the live arrangements. I had exactly what to play during the 
the added moments that weren't songs and <laughs> like drum breakdowns, drum breaks and stuff like that. And then he would add layers of clicks during solos. That was something I'd never seen before that I thought was interesting. Wow. So if he has a key solo or something like the adrenaline of the moment and everyone's screaming and cheering, it's so hard to hear sometimes with in-ears when, I mean, people screaming is crazy loud. So uh, layering in another like really loud, like ching, 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 your ears are just being blown off. But yeah, I know you he goes to hear it. A couple of guitar solos, they can feed you water. Yep. You know, so yep. I'm pretty sure that was one of them. Yep. So there was just so much strategy and thought and experience, you know, that was clearly a result of probably in the past, he wasn't able to hear something, you know, so he adjusted and used that experience and then the cues. So during rehearsals, if we'd make any mistakes, um, like rehearsals were almost for us to find our own inadequacies and where we needed help or a reminder. Um, so we didn't need to use like, like Cody and I both came prepared with like charts for rehearsal and then the goal was the more we play this to not need the charts. Um, and then that was where we'd start looking away and try to go through the whole set without, and we'd forget a few things. So we'd just say like, can we add a cue there or whatever? Um, and I remember one of the biggest ones for me was like all my friends has all the, all these moments where, uh, the song goes, Oh yeah. <laughs> and there's this big crowd thing like that. There's like, it does it like four or five times. And some of them are one bar. Some of them are two bars. Some of them are one bar. Like it keeps switching. So that was one thing I like wanted in the cues, for example, um, where the way the counting is, it lets you know. So it'd go one, two, one, two, three. So I'd know that's going to be a two bar. But if it went one, two, three, four, I know it's going to be one bar. Like it was just obvious little things. Um, I think preventative action is the best way I can put it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was just really strategic. And then we're talking everything automated, guitar changes, my sample pad. Um, that was something we figured out in rehearsal to to just automate the MIDI changes. So I never had to actually change pads. Like the sounds would change for me. So I could, all I'd have to memorize is which he- like pads to hit and obviously what to play on them. But uh, we tried to, anything that could be, taken care of was totally worth it to do. Cause we're going to be doing this 34 times. Like <laughs> yeah. you don't, you just want to save every bit of time and, and thought like mental space. And it helps with consistency can. as well. Yep. And yep. The, with all that done, all that prep done, you can just enjoy the shows more. You're not thinking as hard. You can just like enjoy it and focus more on being there with the crowd, interacting, ex- like having fun, smiling, enjoying it is so fun. Yeah, it seems like a band like Al City. Um, it's very intricate with a lot of electronic, you know, elements to it. Yeah, I, I, w- I was looking at his setup with the cinematic tour, and he has, you know, he has his own pads, Glockenspiel, and you know, mm-hmm. keys, and um, he's very, very busy himself. So, oh yeah, all I was wondering details. how all of that was on, you know, if it was automated, you know, um, was it through Ableton as well? Yeah. Oh yeah, through Ableton. Um. And I believe he uses logic for production, um, but he's people use Ableton for live. It's so yeah. good. It can do like everything. Um, and yeah, like the looping was automated um, and you'd have like count ins like tambourine one, two, three, four. Nice. And even even just like smart little count ins or guide cues that are like telling you the next song or a lot of them were just like uh after the tambourine cue would be like, 
go to stage left to grab guitar, like, oh, nice. like stuff like that. Cause there's certain yeah. timing things that you need to hit. And there's, you know, it was even at the beginning of the session. I remember when we hit spacebar and start is like, um, make sure arrangement, there's like an arrangement view, like orange arrow or automation, uh, enabler, like making sure the automation is enabled because if it's not like all these changes won't happen. <laughs> so like oh, wow. even just so adding in cues to make sure that like just all preventative action was like elitely done so well that I learned so much of that and was able to now I, now I use a ton of those just little tricks for making any future performance easier for me, but now also easier for vocalists, for band members I'm playing with. Cause like the cues are going to be on point and yeah. I can add lyric cues and yeah, just like that creativity in the preparation was so much. So what was it like, you know, you know, learning with Adam, did you guys have, were you able to collaborate a lot of stuff or was it just like more, here's the layout, here's the session. We kind of have to go more of that guide. Yeah. I'd say like? probably 70, 30, maybe awesome. like 70% like laid out here it is. And he was always open in such a healthy way, I think of to suggestions or thoughts, if we wanted to change something or had a suggestion for the arrangement. Um, and we'd always just work together to find the best solution of like what part to play. Um, generally solos were roughly planned. It's fine to change a little bit yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, as for like, especially I felt very trusted and equipped to, um, play what I wanted to play. He was very open with like, here's the tracks, here's all the stems, like good luck <laughs> kind of thing, you know, um, do what you think is best. I trust you kind of thing. And I think that's, that's a awesome. great way to lead. Yeah. So I, and, and most of it is pretty straightforward. If there's a kick hat snare groove, like you can pretty much match it, but there were a lot of decisions to be made, especially with how electronic these songs are and the, the way he programs hi-hats it's like there's no way i'm gonna be able to match this there's not they're not always like patterns like they're just different all the time and like these crazy 30 second notes all over the place there's so much ear candy behind his songs yep. Uh, yep. were you were you a fan of velocity before oh totally yep i grew up listening to like reliant k mxpx nice, yes. super chick newsboys and owl city so this and then we had matt Tyson from reliant k on the tour as well like opening so that was super special and fun to hang out with him yeah let's let's kind of talk about that a little bit um what was it like you know um well i i, I, I see my notes right now um what was your favorite song to play uh, all my friends it was the encore well, yeah. or Fiji Water, because the hit ripping guitar solo. Yeah. And I love songs that have a little bit of swing to them. Um, and that song, like, it's got a little bit of swing to it. And yeah. it's just super fun to play. And it, it felt like, I think I really enjoyed the songs that were easier to play, that I just was hardly thinking about the music and just kind of like dancing, doing my own thing <laughs> behind the drums. That's probably the most fun. Uh, and the Fiji Water... If if you haven't seen it, check it out on you. I got a video up. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll post it up. The, the drum cam compilation of yeah. all the different venues, but uh, yeah, just a surprise ripping guitar solo that Adam rips at the end of that one that he added only live, and it was so fun. But well, all my I friends like was the encore, and that he had Matt Tyson like hop back on stage at the end, like it was just a blast. Um, and that song is that's the ah yeah. yeah song. Yeah. It's just a super like community 
friendly, fun celebration song, which is like such a fun way to end a show. So that was always really special. Was there any like um, horror stories, um, technical malfunctions or anything that happened memorable to you? Um, Yeah, there were a few moments. Um, Yeah. I I mean, there were a few like security scares of just like, people hanging around when, when and where they shouldn't be. Um, which is just scary for everyone. Don't do that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there were, um, some <laughs> there, I, I, I can only think of like two times. Um, one of the times his guitar was off at the beginning of the show. It was just like, Oh no. Like his first moment, like playing. And it was oh. just an automation like issue. And we had a, a guy specifically for that, that was right on top of it. You got it fixed and up and rolling. But, um, I mean, that's the, the nature of the technical issues that like, that's, there was that. And then one other time, the, one of the, uh, either. Yeah. We had a, a redundant setup. So there's two laptops hooked up to the machine. So if one gets out of sync, it automatically switches to the other. And that did happen one show, which was terrifying because you hear a little skip in the click (laughs) and you're like are praying that you're on the right click that it didn't like error towards, you know, an early click or a late click, whatever. You're just praying you're still on the right one. And we were and it was good. And even if we weren't, there's enough count ins and stuff that we can usually like just kind of get back on track. Yeah. Power through either finish a song and then get back on track or like, you know, but I think uh, maybe only once during not all heroes wear capes uh there was like like we just had to play an instrumental all the way through like a verse by accident or something like someone forgot to come in or something and then the one time his guitar wasn't on i mean and this is over 34 shows we're talking yeah. to that just kind of shows the um the amount of work that goes into the prep to where you have all of these redundancies you know um, with a show as intricate as owl city and technically yeah. challenging as our city to only have two memorable moments like that, you know, over a span of 34 shows. Like that's, that says a lot about the system. For sure. For sure. I'd have, I'd have my own moments too. <laughs> like my biggest pet peeve with myself is like missing a rim shot. Like if you don't get that perfect angle, like you yeah. just get a rim click instead of a rim shot. So it's supposed to be a really strong snare and it's just a little click. <laughs> it was like, that's embarrassing. And Cody and I look at each other and just laugh, <laughs> you know, and he'd have little moments too, I guess, like here and there, but they're so rare. You, yeah, we, it really was a lot of prep and rehearsal and, um, it's a way to honor the people you're working with too, to just yeah. prep as much as you need to. Um, and so, there were moments that maybe we were overprepared and then your mind is just thinking too much about stuff like that. I think it's good to take a break. And we learned a lot about that too, of not like over preparing in a day or like, don't run the set like 20 times in a day. Like sometimes I can actually just like make you overthink everything and you're just brain fried. Yeah. So being like healthy and treating your body well too, like with food and rest and all that, I think was important. Um, what were some of your favorite moments on tour? like favorite cities and yeah. Oh man. There's, there's, I could talk about this forever. There's so many. <laughs> um, so I'll just start listing some of my favorite moments. The Boston venue, um, was so fun. 
it was a really shallow venue. So everyone felt so close. It was the closest like it ever felt. And it was wide. So everyone's like close. And I had um, my dad was there and I had some extended family there. And it was just so fun to see them experience that. And then that venue just felt so special. The crowd there, I, I don't know what it was, but maybe it was the closeness and the people, the fans were just so fun and um, smiling and enjoying it, which just like snowballs, you know, the more fun they're having, the more fun you're having, the more like, and it just, yeah, you're just feeding stacking off on each other. Yeah. yeah and it's so that was like just a magical experience. And it like, wasn't the biggest venue. It wasn't, I don't know. It was just, that one just kind of surprised me as like, what a blast. Chicago house of blues was another, um, that was just a dream venue. I had wanted to always play like the gold mezzanines and balconies it's just gorgeous and house of blues we played like four or five house of blues venues um and house of blues has their like hosting and logistics so down well with like available showers and like the food they give you after and like the green room was always in a nice location in the spot that we don't have we can see stage or don't have to walk far like Nice. Um, so that was a really just like logistically uh, satisfying venue and just a dream one to play. And then um, probably the most life changing ones were so the first like month of the tour was on a bus all around. We had one in Toronto, I believe, and then the rest were all like in the States. And then uh, then we had like two or three weeks off and then about a month in Asia. So it was like 10 shows in 30 days and I got to see Tokyo, like or Japan, Korea, China. It was incredible. Um, and just the amount of like culture shock and experience. <laughs> you and, that. Yeah. Appreciation for like, oh my gosh, this whole side of the world is going on while our side's going on. And like, you just don't think about it that much. And then once you're there, you it just is. Yeah, so that brings me to my next question. And I yeah. have it on my notes. I'll send you my notes, by the way, afterwards, so you can Love see it. how love beautiful. it beautiful uh, i can tell you did so much research and prep <laughs> on this <laughs> so what was the culture shock like you know traveling to the eastern countries you know how was that like for you yeah i noticed it especially in japan right away um i guess to, to just just describe a few things um like the first thing i noticed when we get off the plane how polite people were i'm guess i'm kind of used to in america like everyone like rushing off the plane or like everyone's kind of tired and uncomfortable, like waiting for you to get off in Japan. It just felt like people were so respectful and waited like your turn, like kindly. And then all the bows and like hands together. Um, when we get food, uh, and they would hand us our receipt with two hands and like kind of nod down. Like it just felt so respectful. And Another thing on the, I got to uh, see Shibuya crossing. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's one of the busiest, um, like, uh, intersections in the world. Um, and there's like thousands of people moving like every stoplight. It's insane. There's so many people. It was like quiet, which felt so weird. Like I'm just so used to being loud and obnoxious and there being honks and like, I don't know anyone yeah. that's been to like New York or something like just used to that kind of vibe. But man, it was just there's something about the Japanese culture that I just fell in love with of the respect for people, the kindness, the 
we're all on the same team. And I'd seen some videos after of like just seeing people help clean up after a show. Like, wow. It just, I, you, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I haven't seen that here. Um, and it just made me self-reflect and think a lot about like, wow, these are like, how, how do you change culture gradually? How did they get here? I like this, <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's, it's the, centuries built on, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they have hundreds and hundreds of years of just their culture set up like that yeah and it's it's um it's amazing i've been to china and just kind of seeing how you know my experience from being you know um um, culture shock there that's what i wanted to hear about your experiences oh totally it's 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 a totally different world than what we're used to over here yep i think it was good for me too to just be like i'm used to i'm a white male in america like yeah i guess being the put in a minority position like it being in Asia, I can't speak the language everyone is speaking. Like that was also um, really good eye-opening for me. Like just actually experiencing what it's like more, you know. And it just gives me more empathy in general for people, and makes me want to like help and assist people that genuinely need help or communicating or whatever. Or take that extra moment to help someone if they're lost or just stuff like that. Cause it was, we had, <laughs> it's hard to like get around or even order food and it's super anxious. Like we'd sometimes just be in our hotel rooms, like just like anxious and scared to go get food. So we get room service instead, like just yeah. from it's just being a lot when you're there, even 30 days was like a lot of, I don't know, shock, whatever to, it's just weird thinking about like having a social being scared to have a social interaction because you don't know the language just to get food or water like that was a very new thing to me um and just gave me a lot of empathy for there's people here like that you know wherever like there's it's just a very common thing so uh just giving empathy and patience to people that are in that position and um kind of understanding where they're coming from too and then i think a lot of it my experience too, I was just like mind open to how beautiful their land is and like got to ride a bullet train. That was so yeah. cool. <laughs> um, and the snacks and like rice, the amount of, there was a gas station that had these like triangle rice snacks that oh, yeah. had like some kind of raw fish in it. And like, a, it was a triangle, like kind of balled up rice. And that was like my favorite snack. I'm like, Oh, I wish America had this <laughs> so bad. Um, but just so many like little fun things like that, that made it, uh, just, I, I think it almost felt like a, the amount of learning felt like a college experience or like, it was literally like a class, like of the amount of learning you learn by just going to a new place like that. That's, That's really awesome. far away. It gets you out of your echo chamber of thoughts and culture and assuming how things are. Um, and just by seeing how other people do life. It's, it's an incredible experience for sure. Um, were there any tough moments on tour? Yeah. Uh, this one's a total joke, but there was only warm water in a mall. We were trying to get, (laughs) we were so thirsty and we wanted cold water. And that's like not a thing where we were in China. So I remember we got like McDonald's or something and with warm water and it just felt that we were like, Oh, I just want a cold drink right now. Um, but I, I would say the toughest moments were like, there was a lot of solitude 
on the tour. And especially that the whole time in Asia, we all had our own room. So we were, um, I mean, it's kind of like bittersweet playing this crazy, like energy output show. And then like fun, everyone's interacting is very high social, like, Oh, you get back yeah. to the room and you're just like, Oh, just kind of drained out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, but so many like short term relationships were built. Like you meet some really cool friends, but then you have to like go to the next city right away. So that was probably the hardest on me. And even like seeing family at different venues. Like I got, I have so much extended family around the States and everything, like being able to see them and then like have to leave right away, you know, or like 10 PM is bus call or something. And then we're already on the road to the next place. So just meeting new friends and then having to leave right away and, or, or seeing family and having to leave right away. That was probably the hardest on me. And just feeling sometimes a little lonely, like getting back to, you know, a room alone. And after this high energy, it just felt like, uh, like such high highs and low lows, right? Or there, there's just such a different experiences, like going from such so many people and so much energy to like, so much isolation and silence, <laughs> but that's a really recharging too. And I think kind of necessary to some point, but um, yeah, that, I mean, maybe some of the realities of touring that people don't think about and yeah. you can kind of structure it how you want, but that was a, an interesting part about, about it for sure. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of those experiences, you know, we go out there, we play, you know, big show, um, one of my, one of the ones that come to mind for me is, you know, playing a, a show in Monterey, Mexico, and it's a big old festival called Nortex. Um, and we go out there and there's about 40,000 people and just, everything's just so pictures. high energy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. It's so high energy. And it's just so, you know, um, everything's just structured um, because there's, uh, it's a festival. So you have to make, you know, make sure that you're on time and doing all your stuff. Oh, you, yeah. do, you pour out all this energy on stage and then you just kind of go backstage get ready to go to the room. And it's just like, like I just ran a marathon, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, with us, we like to interact with each other right afterwards, you know, whether through food or you totally know, happy adult um, beverages. And, you know, we just kind of, yep. that's how we kind of wind down. And I know um, it's kind of different for, for every other band, but, you know, talking about those highs and lows, yeah, I, I completely understand. Um, I kind of want to change the shift a little bit and let's talk about YouTube for a bit. Yeah. Um, I think the first video I saw of you was the Fireflies um, compilation um, and then Feed You Water. How has YouTube influenced your life as a musician, musician and content creator? Yeah. Um, well, I started the channel originally um, just trying to maximize my experience of playing at church. I kind of had gotcha. the thought of uh like i described earlier as being a drummer in a supportive role i wanted to like but i am stuck with this entrepreneur mind where i want to like <laughs> yeah. kind of own or like grow everything whatever i'm doing i want it to grow and i'm like how do i there's some positions that are just like you got to get creative on how you're going to grow it or maybe it can be useful in growing something else um and that was one of the things i'd come up with of like okay as long as i'm there I might as well record it, set up some GoPros and try to get the house mix if I can. Yeah. So it sounds clean and not like <laughs> camera audio. Um, 
and started posting those. And sure enough, some got like, you know, 20,000 views, 60,000 views. Like what? And I'd have like click on these too and stuff. But I found other drummers would find them useful for. So I was just building my own kind of portfolio, not thinking a ton into it, but knowing that like these videos might be useful for someone learning the song or just some people. I like cruising YouTube, just watching other videos of people playing and getting a feel for them and all that. So uh, that's how it started. And then as I got opportunities from posting those, like that led to these other band opportunities, including Owl City even being one of them. Um, I was like, okay, I could lean into this a little more. And like, instead of just doing it because I'm already there, like making a video because I'm already there, what if I like actually put in the time and make a video that is like exactly what I want it to be and like cool and I pick the song, I pick all that stuff. So um, did that for a few drum covers and sure enough they did pretty well and it was like whoa this is fun (laughs) got some of the you know social affirmation um and then realized i can't lean into that too much because sometimes you put your life work and you're so proud of a video and it does terrible (laughs) no one sees it you know um but Yeah, I kind of found my way to after making a bunch of covers um, for Owl City, I got the light up drum kit, whatever the from Risen Drums, now Franklin Drum Company. It's the same thing. Um, So uh, that was I got uh, in intention to use for Owl City, like for the first time. That was a custom kit like for that. And then once I had this light up kit and figured out how to automate all this, I'm like, ooh, I think light up drum covers would be a cool niche idea that I don't see anyone else doing. Yeah. And the other light up kits I've seen, I've never really admired the automation of the lights. Like they've always been kind of mediocre to me, like on or off, or maybe it strobes one point in a song, but that's it. And I've always wanted to see them like light up when you hit it. And like, so I, I made a ton of light up drum covers and just made videos that I was really proud of, of the music I enjoy to play, which was generally like, I love like really catchy, well-written pop. Uh, So I did a ton of covers like that and set some really high goals. Like a goal I set for myself was I'm going to have 50,000 subscribers in one year. And I wish if I could go back that poor kid at me (laughs) trying to like, get so much social put I put on so much social pressure on myself to on things that are somewhat out of my control. Um, I would, I would have put more emphasis on you, you do you make the best possible videos and do. And the goal I had set to was one a week. So I wish I had focused more on that, like the controllables of what I can do and making like just the best possible products, making the best possible videos I can that I enjoyed to watch. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I think I did a combination of that, but I did lean too hard on the social pressure, which then got me burnt out. Yeah. Uh, cause they took, I put a lot into these videos. It'd take me six to 10 hours. Cause I'd program a full light show for it. Like program every drum is all pre-programmed. And then like panels behind me, I built, I painted, I soldered I've LED strip that, yeah. to it. Like, Oh my gosh, it was so much work. And then I'd, prepare these songs. I'd record cue tracks. So I wouldn't have to like be looking at a chart or anything like that. And that would make my prep time way faster by using cues. Cause I'm playing to click anyway for the lights. And then, um, then I'd record it, I'd mix it, I'd master it, like all this stuff. Um, so much. And then edit the video too. It's really so much dang work that went into it. So I, 
just got burnt out and then had to like take a break. So YouTube for me has been that on and off experience of like balance and yeah. pressure on yourself. But man, has it led to a lot of fun, cool opportunities. And from there, it led to like a lot of brand deals and um, getting some fun products and being able to collaborate with some cool companies. And um, it's still leading to gigs like those videos had led to a lot of drum recordings I've done producers I've met and gigs I'm doing now are like stemming from this YouTube channel. So once again, the resume thing, just leaning yeah. into that. Well, um, I, now I want to do something a little bit different now. Yeah. Cause I have some more questions, but I think I'm going to save them for the, for the end. Um, I want to just kind of spit out some titles of songs and I want to see if you, you can remember where they're from and give me a little bit more context. Yep. So the first one is um, I'll Fly Away. That's the title of the song. Do you remember that? I'm thinking of I'll fly away on I'll fly away. Do you remember is that, where? Is that the yeah. right song? I think so. Okay. I, so. <laughs> I found it online and on YouTube. It was from um, NTU audio, audio engineering class. Oh, really? Yeah. I and, don't and even... I think you would you did recorded drums for Oh no um, way. Okay. I bet it was Rob Barrett. That would have been Rob Barrett, my he was like my advisor through college. Um, Audio Engineering 101. Wow. I barely remember this. <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed. <laughs> what that, about that would have been my freshman year? Awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. But he would just throw us in and get us like he'd find what skills the class had and try to like put everyone in so everyone could like contribute in their own way, which was he was awesome. Um, wow. dang. Yeah. I do kind of remember <laughs> that. You must have, that's probably on YouTube. I bet. Huh? It's on YouTube. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. What about, um, highway don't care. Okay. I remember that with, uh, my good friend Trevor and yeah. Hallie. So that Trevor was in my first band ever tomorrow's yesterday. And that was, he had like all these production skills at like, 16 or like 17 year old like he was like tuning vocals producing like mixing and no one else my age was even close to like his wow. production level or anything and he was like editing videos and everything too so uh he was so fun to hang out with we still are in touch today he's awesome um yeah that was super fun <laughs> and i remember that was i was playing acoustic like a cajon like yeah. on, a, on a cliff <laughs> had this like super cool backdrop and playing a country song that was fun what about better off this way? Oh, so this is my, my Taylor Marshall era. It's a better yeah. office way. <laughs> I actually wrote with him. Um, and we produced in my production room and, uh, that was kind of, it ended up turning into the better off this way tour. That was basically a tour of just Taylor and I, we had gotten really creative with, um, how much we could both contribute. He plays almost every instrument wow. and we both produce. I I had figured out the light automation and he had a sound system. And we're like, if we combine forces here, we could literally like be a full band and like travel and like offer like audio lights, like everything. We would just need to like have a sound guy. <laughs> so we ended up doing that for like wow. 20, 30 shows. Um, and Talk about margin, the entrepreneur in me loved that model because it was super efficient. You're talking getting paid like a full band, but 
it's just two of us, but we're sounding and feeling like a full band because we've got a full automated light show that we spent like 40 hours programming. We've got like kick and sound system that he had invested in. And um, that was, and then the lighted light up drums all automated to the show too. It was a really cool, unique thing we made. So that's what I think I would better off this way. Yeah. And Taylor Marshall um, for, for the viewers out there at the beginning of the show, I said, I'm jumping in. And, and that brings me to jumping in with Taylor Marshall as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's such a good buddy of mine. He DJed my wedding. He's like an incredible multi-talented dude. You got to check him out on, on Spotify, YouTube, all this stuff. He's, yeah. I he's think awesome. I'll put all those links down on, um, in the description. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to spit out a couple of, of um, these titles and see if you remember them. And yeah, you- that's awesome. <laughs> the I'll so, fly away one. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so, now I remember it was so long ago. Yeah. NCU audio and engineering class 101. Yeah. Crazy. I found it. What, so when we're on the road, we like to pass time and we ask each other questions. It's, it's being on the road with, with, with a band. It's like a family. There's a lot of bonding time. For sure. We're spending hours and days and days and months with this group of people. Our, our drummer and producer MD, and he does it all. His name is Lalo Reyna. He usually drives the Sprinter for us, and um, I'm usually co-pilot. And we're driving overnight while everybody else is, just, you know, is Dang. crashed out. We're Generous. driving overnight, yeah. And um, we have to keep things interesting. One of the questions we ask each other is about our island songs. If you were stuck on a desert deserted island, and you had this, you know, music player, MP3 player, whatever it, it may be, but it only had five songs on it, what would those five songs be for you? Soak up the sun, hundred percent. I absolutely, <laughs> that quite literally fits the Island song, but that's also, there's something about how that chorus hits that just yeah. feels so good to me. Like when I hear that chorus, I'm just floating. Like, I don't know what it is. There's something magical about that. The writing and melody in that song, like the harmonies, it just all feels so good to me. Uh, so that's for sure. One of them. I've actually got a playlist that I'm putting together <laughs> gradually called feeling good. And it's songs like this, that, that I can't describe why, but they just feel so good to me. And a lot of them are older, um, more like timeless feeling songs, uh, which I'm almost all the stuff I listen to usually is like modern and like new, but, um, put your records on. That's another one. I, uh, girl put your records on I just love there's something about that just makes me feel so good it's just a fun vibe and um my my wife teases me I I'm I'm so bad at like remembering lyrics and like I'm off I'm often humming the melodies of songs and not the like me- messing me. up the lyrics <laughs> but I do think there's an un maybe spoken value to just how a song can make you feel like, I think it's okay for a song to just make you feel good. If, even if the lyrics are kind of like, whatever, like I, those have been some of the most, like, or a lot of songs have just spoken to me the most that I just listened to. And they've brought me through a moment in life that was tough or something because they just feel good. But that would be another one. Um, there's a song by Chris August called superhero. Um, and it's uh, the chorus is you make me feel like a superhero and it's just like this really um, Nashville organic, like just solid recordings. Like the musician in me just loves the song. It's just really well done. All the tones are incredible. 
and the songwriting in it. It's amazing. That'd probably be another one. I'll nail down two more here. Uh, Jacob Collier just came out with this song. I don't know if you have, have you heard this, uh, Me Corazon. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The we, drop to it is absolutely. That bass drop is just. Yep. Money. Everything I want <laughs> in the drop, it's like funny. imperfect swing, like yes. it's just so tasteful. So that one's on there for sure. Um, and then I would say do one more. Um, I'm thinking if I'm on an island and I'm burning up, <laughs> what do I want to hear? I need a, a peaceful one. Um which would probably be there's a John Mayer one. It's something submarine. Um, Walt Grace's submarine by John Mayer. It's just a super peaceful um, kind of like down type song. The drums especially spoke to me because it's got this like, <clears throat> it's almost like a melody on drums. It's that, 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 and it just feels kind of like a train moving along and I can just envision myself on an island like I don't know cutting off bark on trees like building a <laughs> shelter like just kind of training trucking along like working and listening to that song so it's a good like road trip type song so awesome well it's, it's nice to hear Goose the Drummer's Island songs and I'll try to see if I can put a playlist on that for <laughs> yeah Goose's Island songs <laughs> so let's talk about the present time you know um, I have a question to ask you Yes. Is it pronounced realtor or realtor? <laughs> realtor. <laughs> so many people get this mixed up. Real realtor. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but uh, yeah, after getting my real estate license, like they, it turns out it's this like it, they have a copyright on the term realtor, uh, and they they really emphasize and want want the public to get that right. <laughs> so I thought that I made up some funny videos about that yeah. and. It's a funny, like, general misconception, similar to Aldi's, how, yes. like, I feel like so much of the older generation calls it Aldi's. Let's go to Aldi's. But yeah. it's technically Aldi, whatever. <laughs> fun, to, fun to poke fun with it. So talk about the realtor, um, you know, journey. You know, now now you're into real estate. Um, yep. You know, so let's talk about that a little, just briefly. Yeah, I am incredibly passionate about, um, I would say, financial stewardship like treating money as if it's not your own, as if you've been blessed with it. And if someone's trusting you with it, I feel like is how is the wisest way to, to treat your money. So um, that going through that filter changes, I think how a lot of people would approach their spending and um, it's changed my life on many regards of just uh, my, I, it's always come naturally to me of like living frugal. I, I attribute a lot of it to my grandparents, to my parents and the culture they'd kind of just set growing up and how they'd spend, but um, frugality and also, but not being afraid to spend on what you value. Um, Cause there's totally things that are worth spending on. It's, it's not like spending is bad, but uh, I guess that's the core of what got me into real estate. And then I had bought a home basically with the Owl City tour money. <laughs> I dumped it nice. into a home. I rented to three buddies in the house as I was living there too. And I was able to give them a really good deal while still covering like my own expenses. And that ended up being one of the best financial, actually not one of the best, the best financial decision I've ever made. And that really springboarded me into 
um, being able to buy another for my wife and I, and like, um, just how that affected my life and how the realtors that worked with me and helped me accomplish that broke all the stereotypes that I'd thought about realtors, that they're money hungry, that they're just like trying to get a deal or whatever. They had my best interest in mind. And some, I even had to like one, I had to break the news to him that, Hey, sorry, I'm actually getting my license now. So I don't need you anymore. (laughs) Like it was an awkward thing. And they totally understood and were actually happy for me and like praising me, you know, welcome to the industry that's like, so glad that like you see a passion in this, like I do kind of thing. So uh, that was a big part of um, just growing the passion for me. And then the fact that I can help others now do that and become part, like have a taste of home ownership, of financial stewardship, of being smart and intentional with your money. Cause it affects so many people around you, your family, your kids, your future kids. Like it, it really being in a healthy spot also enables you for generosity. And, um, I'm just, I love that stuff. I love geeking numbers. I love being able to show someone that a small adjustment can make such a big impact. Um, so that's kind of the root of it is just like, sharing, I guess, um, some of the, the good experiences that I've have had, have like really grown this passion for it. And the more real estate type stuff I do, the more fun I'm having. And I had this big identity crisis when I was getting into it of like, Oh no, does this mean I'm not a drummer? Is it, am I doing plan B instead of plan A? But, um, I've totally let that go. Forget about that. Like I'm passionate about both. I'll do both, you know? Um, and that's okay. Like, I don't need to even think or worry what people are going to think. Like I can just, um, do and enjoy both. And I am. So, um, that's incredible. That's been really releasing to just like, let go of, am I goose the realtor? Am I goose the drummer? Am I Matt? Am I like, you know, all these identity things. And it's like just releasing that's been, um, that's probably been this past year of like mentally being okay with doing something else besides music as well is totally okay. Um, and it's not, yeah, I don't have to feel like it's a cop out or plan B or anything. I just am passionate about it and I want to do it and I'm, I'm loving it. So yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll post some videos to some links to your, um, real TV videos. Um, Awesome. So what other plans do you have right now? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm in a current renovation (laughs) right now. So that's a big part of my life. Like I bought a house that needs, far more work than I know how or can do. (laughs) It's been a journey and living in a house while working on it is its own struggle in itself. So I've been, you know, learning how to put in flooring and put in a vanity with my dad. We like replaced the like guts of a toilet. Like we're, I'm I'm getting my hands dirty, like learning so much um, hands-on skills. That's fun. I like to be able to, I guess, like lean into those skills after a day's work. I like to be able to just work whenever I want to kind of thing. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that, been doing post-production, um, mixing and mastering and, um, the video courses do like offering support for those and, um, been doing some drum recording. I just had a gig, uh, this couple weeks ago and doing like some video shoot stuff for a new up and coming artist named Ben Howe, like locally here. So, um, it's been really fun just having this mixed life. I've got an inspection I'm attending for a buyer for real estate. Like tonight, it's just all sorts of 
different passions I get to lean into and jump into. Um, that's, I like the, I like my life being a little uncomfortable and unpredictable and, but being flexible. So yeah, it makes, makes things interesting. I'm scattered. I'm scattered and I love it. <laughs> um, so let's, let's, um, now it's time for plugs, you know, where can people find you? I've got, uh, I'm blessed to have a, a unique username. So it's the same on everything. <laughs> goose, the drummer, it's goose, the drummer.com, like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. It's all just goose, the drummer. Um, and then, uh, my realtor stuff is just my name, Matt Gusmer. Uh, so you can find me on YouTube or TikTok there. So. Awesome. Well, um, man, we can go on. I believe we can go on, you know, oh, yeah. for hours talking about <laughs> everything. Um, and I've had a lot of fun. Um, but I don't know if there's any, you know, closing um, statements or remarks that you want to make for anybody or. Yeah. If I, if you could, uh, if I could land one thing with you, I'd say, um, work hard, pursue your passions. Don't be afraid. Have, have courage to, to go for it. I, I think we all have stuff that we want to do that we're afraid to do. And it, um, real estate was one of those things for me. And I'm really glad I dove into it and making videos, making covers was that for me. I was so it's so vulnerable to post anything of yourself because <laughs> people have their thoughts and criticisms and whatever. Um, but the, it's freeing and releasing to let that go um, and have the courage to just go for it. So that that would be that's the theme in my life right now to just go for it, be courageous um and and have integrity work hard at what you do awesome well um everybody mr goose the drummer um it was a pleasure to have you i'm gonna go ahead and um i'll stop the recording um and then we'll just kind of have a conversation afterwards awesome perfect awesome.